Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I am Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. As this podcast contains adult material, if you don't have total privacy, you might want to wear headphones. Today, we're continuing our discussion about BDSM and power dynamics in relationships. If you've not heard part one, please go and download it from iTunes. The link is in the script on the website. Last week, we focused on some definitions and an introduction discussion around where we found power dynamics, power exchange, and BDSM. Joining me to continue our discussion into these areas and to delve into some of the theory is Dr. Kevin Buello, psychoanalyst and philosopher. It is good to see you again. Oh, it's good to be seen. So last time we were talking, we were taught, we introduced the topics of power exchange and BDSM. And one of the points you highlighted was how important it is to explore these areas that you must be self-aware and you must be able to take responsibility for yourself as well as extending that responsibility to others. And I, I was interested in, in how this impacts when people are actually deciding to kind of delve deeper and explore. Okay, well, we can start there. It's nice to be on the show again. Um, I think a lot of times people explore things without fully reflecting. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, certainly anytime you do something that's brand new in life, uh, there's a natural limit to reflection because you don't really know what it's going to be. Right. You have ideas. You have ideas about it. You, you know, maybe you're maybe you've really even educated yourself about it, but that's kind of an intellectualized book learning or uh, a mythological sharing um, uh, by somebody else. But what really interests me is that people are often motivated uh, in unconscious ways. Mm-hmm. So, so there's this really interesting bridge or corridor between uh, what is unconscious, what we don't really know, and, and, and consciousness itself. So <clears throat> people I've seen in my experience are often highly motivated um, by uh, what I would call the daimonic, um, D-A-I-M-O-N-I-C, the daimonic. So- and it's uh, highly related to Eros. But so but this is a really important feature because it's this, it's this really wonderful reservoir of life energy, libido, eros. Uh, it's pre-reflective. Uh, it's a, it involves the body. It involves our basic drives. And so, and so people uh, – go, go ahead. Yeah, so, yeah. so to clarify, so, so when, we, when we say it's – so it's pre-conscious. We're talking about – something that we experience in the body, we experience as our drives, but we don't have actual um, thought to put to it and we don't have actual words to put to it. Right, Um, and so let's make a definitional clarification. I think it'll be helpful. Um, There's the distinction between the unconscious and consciousness, but within consciousness, there's, a, there's also a distinction between pre-reflective consciousness and reflective consciousness. 
So reflective consciousness is when I think about myself, like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm engaging in BDSM or this exploration with my partner or with, I'm at this strange event and they're all doing weird things. That's a reflected upon consciousness. Mm -hmm. A pre-reflective a pre consciousness is, is something that's very akin to intuition, uh, spontaneity. Okay. So for example, an international tennis star, when he or she is out on the court, they're in a pre-reflective state. They're in flow and they're just moving. And, and I think that a lot of what happens for people uh, in exploration of anything that involves um, um, extreme motivation like sexuality is that there, there's a lot of really complex interplay between what is unconscious and what is conscious but pre-reflective. Okay, that makes sense. And, and so what I'm calling the daimonic is actually a very um, uh, beautiful concept. That's a concept that, that um, we've used in a number of ways. Uh, in the Western literature, and daimonic can become demonic. The daimonic can become uh, irresponsible and aggressive right. and violent, but it can also uh, become responsible and uh, laden with a healthy eros, uh, an inquisitive mind, uh, and an availability and an openness to explore with another human being or human beings. So that's very interesting to me because one of the things that um, that came up when we talked last and one of the things I thought about was um, the idea that actually to engage in these sorts of um, experiences, to, to, to consciously choose to engage in power exchange requires a fairly high level of awareness. Even if you're acting, even if you may be exploring from an intuitive space, place as you're describing rather from a pre-conscious place rather than from a conscious place the level of awareness to actually i guess make make best and successful use of this needs to be relatively uh, high yeah and, and i'd like to uh, respond to that both experientially uh, from my experience and also theoretically yep um what we call What's often called normal sex uh, or, or vanilla sex or normalized mm -hmm. sexuality is often, uh, well, let's just say what it is first. It's, 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 it's dictated largely by capitalism, uh, bourgeois living, um, people who are um, corporatized or bureaucratized. They have, you know, there's a mom and a pop and, and two kids. And there's a certain kind of structuralization legally, psychologically, socially, and they have a certain kind of sexuality that's actually a product of deep structural elements in their culture. Heteronormative. And, and, pardon? Heteronormative. Yeah. It, it can be heteronormative, um, but it's even more than that because it's, it's dictated by family okay. um, production. It's where you work a five-day work week, and then you have a weekend, and yep. and you have certain obligations with children, and and you, so uh, what I've what I've discovered in my own work is that, and I'm not in any way devaluing that that way of life, but that's a way of life that is highly routinized and habituated mm -hmm. um, because it becomes an efficient mechanism uh, for the forces of of production. Um, and then often when we become habituated to something, we don't think about it much. Yep. And, and we have a large portion of society that 
that lives that way. And so what they would consider to be uh, normative or normal sexuality is just something that was handed to them by, by other forces. In contrast, and, and this is really, really important um, to your listeners, in contrast, people who engage in sexual exploration uh, in any form, whether it's uh, Tantra, uh, other Eastern practices, um, Kundalini yogas that involve sexuality, or people who engage in power exchange or BDSM practices um, are by and large highly introspective, very caring uh, people with high aptitudes for empathy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and not only um, self-awareness and self-insight, but the ability to be available to another person, the ability to listen, the ability to, to have empathy, and the ability also to engage in evolved uh, interrelationship or evolved interrelational uh, exploration, because these explorations are not solo. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not about being alone. It's about. You, it's about allowing yourself to be changed and impacted and affected by another person, and and allowing yourself to impact that other person. So obviously, it involves a high degree of trust. Yeah. And trust comes from, from careful communication. Careful communication comes from introspection and self-awareness. So for me, one of the things that's so interesting about this is how much work actually goes into <coughs> creating a consensual power exchange. Um, and that once you actually do that, it, it gener- and you become aware in life of all the other places where you have power exchange that may not be consensual. You start to see the dynamic. Well, this is where my work um, resides and and fascinating topic. Uh, Power exchange um, and power itself is present in all human interaction all the time. We we can't live without this thing called power. Um, there, There are a lot of ways to talk about power. In the old days, folks used to talk about power as a thing. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it was reified into a something, or yeah. rather a, a quiddity that, that you could have. And so if you were uh, an aristocrat or one of the wealthier folks in your culture, you had power, government had power. Power is now more viewed in the Western philosophical literature as a strategic, as a word that um, describes a strategic and tactical relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, one that describes a certain structural matrix, your place within it, and your ability to be able to impact and influence others. So uh, to, to water this down, though, to go back to a really clear, what I call a street level, which is good for all of us, um, sometimes people enter into sexual exploration and, and power exchange exploration without very much knowledge, very much thought, very much insight. Um, and that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a problem because, uh, and, and I don't mean to be a down buzz, but if you don't go into some of this carefully, uh, you can hurt yourself psychologically and emotionally. Uh, and I've seen people do that. Mm-hmm. Where, where and, and this goes back to our distinction with the unconscious. Sometimes people are just acting uh, based on unconscious impulses. And they're not really in charge of what they're doing. Yep. So they might intent, they might have an intentionality, 
but they might not be aware. And so there's a moral element in uh, secular, sexual exploration and BDSM uh, power exchange, uh, a moral element that I'm very interested in. I've been working in that area for a long time. And what that means is in, in any kind of um, practice in life, uh, I think it's important that, that people who know better to teach and guide and mentor and facilitate uh, uh, people who are just entering. It's very um, interesting that you say that. Um, I interviewed a, um, a dominant couple the other day um, for this same series. And um, when I we were talking about acting in, in tandem and, and, and how it looks different when you're working as a dominant couple as opposed to just having a straight dominant submissive relationship. And one of the big points that they made was how important mentorship is and how it's important when you come into a situation in terms of learning, but it's important kind of in the way you and I would talk about supervision as, as therapists, where you would, you would have discussion with other therapists to kind of give you that sounding board and help, help, point out the things that you might miss that mentorship in an ongoing way is important for that as well. Absolutely. And, and, and if you enter into uh, a consensual power exchange relationship and you have more experience than the other person, uh, I think it is your moral duty um, to share and to be vigilant and to do everything you can um, to, um, preclude or prevent harm to that other person psychologically. Mm -hmm. Now, that all sounds very serious. It, it's also the case in life that whenever we try something new, we stumble, we fall, we pick ourselves up, and we learn. You know, so uh, there's always a beginning. Uh, I, I think, and, and I haven't done a, you know, a scientific study on this, but I think there are a lot of falsehoods. Mm-hmm. About, about this kind of exploration, um, a number of people uh, who live the normalized bourgeois sexual life will view any kind of creative sexuality as pathological mm -hmm. or or immoral or wrong because they're uh, because it goes against the logic of the forces of production or capitalism, et cetera, et cetera. And you see a lot of this in various uh, religions. Um, re religion is a is a stronghold. Uh, for sexuality and and a lot of religions have very clear rules about uh, how sexuality can go and and this is not a religion again engaging in a power exchange it's not a religion it's not a spirituality really um, although you could create a, a spiritual component to it and, and so I think that it, what what's really important is to disseminate factual information I agree. And one of the things I do find interesting about this, as opposed to certain other things, though, is that if you are male and heterosexual and dominant and you have a female who is submissive, there are, are actually quite a few religious folks that find ways in scripture to validate this exploration but have trouble if they come across somebody, for example, who's female and dominant 
and has a right. male submissive or somebody who's or a male homosexual couple or a female homosexual. So it's like they can do the exploration only so far as to where they feel it would fit into the religion. But it's really interesting listening to them justify it. Right. So w what you just said triggers, um, in, in my mind, this idea of gender role distinction or gender role differentiation, uh, which is largely cultural, um, religious, um, to some extent. And then up until fairly recently in Western history, um, you know, it was thought that men would be the dominant and, and their wives would be submissive in a, in a lot of religious cultures. And, and so if you're engaging in a, a creative sexual enterprise that somehow comports with that accidentally, then of course it would be validated and acknowledged as, as being legitimate. But, but anything out of that, any kind of a role reversal would be viewed as, um, you know, pathological or diseased or sick in some way. <coughs> so the, I think the key thing is that it's an anti-logic. It, it has a, the algorithm or the logic of power exchange goes against what I would call a dominant narrative or a dominant discourse about normalization or, or normal sex in, certainly in the United States. And that's why people who engage in the, these behaviors are, are marginalized. They're viewed with suspicion, uh, you know, by, by the other folks in the dominant narrative. And I think that plays itself out. I think, I think that there's uh, shame involved in that. Mm -hmm. Any, anytime you're doing something that goes against say your biological family of origin, there's a shame element because you have to justify yourself. Anything that goes against um, your neighborhood or your school or your community uh, or say the um, uh, macro culture in a country, then all of a sudden you're in the shame position because you're you're doing something that violates the superego, violates um, moral, um, a moral narrative. And I think that, that so for people who, <coughs> excuse me, engage in this kind of uh, behavior and this kind of thinking, um, it it's a it can be difficult for some to have to make those justifications, uh, and and for others you get more comfortable about it. Um, one one of the issues um, that maybe uh, we can discuss is um, is the occurrence of you know people getting married and then one person and being really truly committed and one one uh, spouse deciding that they want to explore in this way. Yeah. And and they and they really genuinely want to and and in fact they're they're aware of it they have insight about it they uh, they have empathy. Uh, they have a moral sense and, and they might bring it up to their partner and the, the other spouse might be very offended and hurt by that uh, in some way. Um, I think it's a huge issue. Because, is, because, yeah, yeah no, please. It is a huge issue. I mean, I, I, I get many people who come in for coaching because of that very issue, because one partner has either brought it up or if they haven't found a way to bring it up, they've been watching um, um, BDSM porn or they've been reading BDSM erotica and the other partners found out. And, and so everybody's very up in arms and they come in to try and figure out what to do about this. And if 
there is a way they can both explore. Right. And this is, uh, I think this is a subset of a bigger issue in, in say committed partnership or marriage. And that is when one partner is growing in a, in a new way, mm -hmm. uh, we'll say partner number one and partner number two has a hard time with that growth. Mm -hmm. and, and so they, you know, the, the way they can conceptualize the other person or perceive the other person um, may not allow comfortably for that kind of growth. And certainly when you're talking about creative sexuality that involves power exchange, um, that can put a lot of stress and strain uh, on a marriage or a committed partnership. And, and I think that can be very difficult indeed because the first person who wants to start exploring and, and growing in these new ways realizes very quickly that his or her spouse is not going to go there. Mm -hmm. so, they, so they end up feeling shamed, uh, alone, angry, uh, disappointed, sad, trapped, mm -hmm. alienated, fragmented. Um, and that can be a very difficult time for a marriage. It can be fatal yes. to a marriage if they can't find a way to talk about it. I think, uh, Normally, I would advise talking to a psychotherapist who deals with these matters uh, regularly, because otherwise it's going to be very difficult uh, to talk about. They don't really have an understructure that's supportive. Um, it's be very difficult to listen to each other without yeah. the help of a of a professional. Yeah, because people feel tremendously um, emotional about any differences around sexuality and sexual interest that feels so threatening um, in, in many in many committed long-term partnerships. And this stuff can seem really, really scary, as you said, and particularly because of the way it's depicted. Um, I think that brings me back to the point you made earlier, which is it's really important to have some good sane information about what this involves rather than um, some of what we see in the media. Um, because that makes all of that type of conversation far worse. Yeah. So um, this makes me think of the importance of uh, communities or forums, mm -hmm. uh, books uh, that are that are widely respected mm -hmm. by people engaging in this behavior, so that they can get some kind of support. Um, otherwise what, what happens all too often is that there's not, um, a foundation for, um, intimate conversation about these issues. And then you have two partners who love each other, who can't talk about something that's as personal as it gets, which is sexuality. Um, so where does that leave us in our discussion? Um, going back to the topic of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, w you, you make the point that it's a, it's awareness on many levels um, that somebody needs to actually cultivate um, a different kind of awareness, perhaps an understanding of some of their preconscious impulses and intuitions and 
and and drives. Right, and and let's go back to the issue that you raised before that relates to self awareness, and and that is, I think you mentioned sometimes when people explore BDSM consensually with a partner or partners, they become really aware of how a lot of these power dynamics are working in all of their relationships. Yep. Everyone from A to Z. Yep. And and so, so it's either uh, suppressed, where people kind of know what's going on. Um, there's the famous Latin phrase, um, um, uh, it's multis volt decipi, the world winks at deception. Like we know something is going on, but we pretend that it's not. Mm -hmm. And that, that can happen across the board or where we actually are, are not aware really at any kind of conscious level that these power dynamics are going on. But it's really an eye opener when, when an explorer in, in power exchange sexuality figures out and they're, they put on these new glasses, their eyes are open and they see these dynamics occurring all over the board uh, that are not healthy, not consensual, um, immoral in some ways, um, hurtful, harmful, they're manipulative. Mm -hmm. and, and I think in some ways that is that can be an explanation for um, why uh, a lot of people talk negatively about power exchange sexuality because they're confusing uh, the non-consensual type with the consensual type. And I, in, in, in my work and in my own mind, I make a huge distinction between the consensual and the non-consensual. E even though there are different levels of awareness, right, in, yeah. in all sorts of gradients, but there is a bright line between entering into a relationship with somebody where you say, okay, we're gonna try this, um, I'm the dom and you're the sub, or, or I'm the sub and you're the dom, or something like that, um, uh, and, and and what do you say, and then and then an agreement is built, and a covenant yep. is built from that agreement. That's a very different kind of um, interrelational structure than this kind of stuff that goes on in marriages on the normalized yep. continuum every day. Yes. And Every that, day. That is really something that I that I, I, I think bears some really good discussion is, is how much we actually see that dynamic in ordinary relationships. But it's not explicit. It's not explicit. And and think about the word domineering. Mm -hmm. Domineering um, is a cognate to dominant. Yep. And so in, in normalized bourgeois sexuality, a, a, a spouse can be domineering and override the will of, of his or her partner yep. without consent. Yes. So people talk about the word domineering in a, in a pejorative way or a negative way because it means you're not respectful or to about of the other person's autonomy or locus of agency. And that's very different than the word dominant uh, or to dominate consensually. Which is more along the lines of leadership. It's more along the lines of leadership. Uh, if you think about um, 
wolf pack behavior. Mm-hmm. They they have um, a very clear. It's not a pecking order, but but there's a subordination logic. There's an alpha, a beta, and everybody in between. And 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 those higher up on the dominant um, part of the social structure really tell the the more subordinate um, members what to do. And there's absolutely no. Um, it's agreed upon structurally. Mm-hmm. It's and and on occasion it's negotiated. Somebody will try to be a new alpha, and there will be a huge um, social rupture, um, and usually some kind of a of a conflict or squabble, and then it'll be they'll come back into a new equilibrium. Uh, that doesn't really happen for two people dyadically who are consenting, unless um, both parties. Um, just say to each other that they want to explore switching. Yes. Um, with these roles. Yes. And and of course, some people uh, identify as switches, and and can go both ways and all ways, um, which can be confusing to people who don't do that. Um, also, I've seen uh, partners who are very committed and loving to each other who are um, DS switches. Right. Uh, and and in various parts of the relationship or. Yeah, you can arrange a switch mechanism uh, in any way you like. I mean, this Friday night, he's the, he's the dom, and maybe next Friday night, he's the sub. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's confusing, I think, for for people who don't engage in that exploration because it it doesn't really make much sense. It's not coherent to them, but it's coherent if you step back and say these people are doing this with autonomy, with insight. Yep. An agreement uh, as part of their exploration. What I find interesting about that is that is this idea that that somebody would um, you know people often talk about you're this by nature or you're that by nature. Um, and I do think people have varying tendencies, but the switch kind of really messes with that. The switch is is the person who is says well. You know, it's not entirely by nature. I, can, I have choice. This is also f- well thought through consensual choice. I want to try both. I get what, something out of doing one and something else out of doing the other. Um, and I think when you when you say that that sometimes confuses people who um, don't switch, I think that's what's confusing is that they, they, they seem to think that you're either dominant by nature or you're submissive by nature. Um, yeah, if, if, if we deconstruct or unpack the the idea of by nature what we usually find is that two things somebody is the is quote unquote by nature dependent upon a certain uh, environmental genealogy right so they had a certain family origin and a certain relational history and and they here they are in the present so so it's not really there's no essentialism to how that person is other than how they've been produced environmentally the, the, the second and highly related issue is that people can be different in different situations. Yes. And we see this all the time in, in the BDSM community. Somebody might be dominant with, with this group of people over here, but submissive to another group or another person over here, um, which, again, is highly confusing to somebody who's not, not explored um, in, in these ways. Well, um, so what I'd like to propose is that we do a little wrap up here. Um, the next time we talk, I'd really like to talk about why do this anyway? 
And maybe we can talk a few cases and, and reasons that people engage, because I think sometimes people listening to this who don't, who it seems completely foreign to, and who only have information from things like Fifty Shades of Grey and stuff like that, cannot figure out what the attraction would be. Yeah, if, if I can just make a couple of responsive comments and then, yeah. then we can close and, and I would love to come back to it. Uh, first of all, I've never read this Fifty Shades of Grey book. I, I think there was a movie. I've never seen the movie. I have absolutely no idea what any of that monkey business is about, um, frankly. Uh, uh, the second thing is that um, I, I think that people can not only use this exploration to gain a lot of self-insight, which can help and empower a person through life, number mm -hmm. one. But number two, I have, I have witnessed many people healing mm -hmm. themselves from past trauma uh, through these explorations. And so I, I, I look forward to uh, coming back um, to the show and, and we'll continue on this path. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week for Sex Spoken here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Write to me with suggestions for the show, questions you want answered at drbisbee at the-intimacy-coach.com. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at Dr. Bisbee. For a free 30-minute strategy session with me, go to www.the-intimacy-coach.com and click on the button that says, says schedule now. I look forward to seeing you all next week when we will continue this discussion. Thanks for listening.